body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart out along with the sound of this bell. May all who hear it awaken from forgetfulness and transcend all anxiety and sorrow. How many of you can feel the energy in the room settle? Just by breathing. All we have to do is take nine breaths and everything settles. So anytime during the course of your day, if you're feeling like you're getting agitated or feeling like you're getting uh, disconnected, um, uh, getting kind of, uh, I always uh, look at it as being, I'm old enough to remember records. I don't know how many of you remember records. but. Um, for me, it's like being the pin that the record's spinning around, or else being the needle on the outside of the record going like this. And when I get off center, I feel like I'm going like this. And when I can bring myself back, it's like coming back to being the pin. I think everything else is spinning around, and I'm feeling okay. So um, having a belt, we don't have to have a physical belt. We don't have to carry a big bell around with us and say, whoops, I think I'm getting a little bit agitated here. I need to sound the bell. What we do in our practice is we use every single thing we can in our daily life as a bell. So if the telephone rings, we stop and breathe three times before we pick up the phone. If um, uh, we get stuck in traffic, we get stopped at a red light and we're feeling, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late. By getting all agitated and upset, it doesn't make us get there quicker. That's what we find out if we're being mindful. So. We just notice that, well, I'm stuck. I might as well breathe three times. I can just take this opportunity to breathe. And we stop and breathe. Every single time, every single moment we can spare. I tell people all the time, parents especially, I am so moved that you're willing to be here today. I cannot even begin to describe. I think that uh, I have friends who've raised kids and they're saying, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, but I feel like I'm not doing quite enough with my life. I should be... And they have all of these pressures. And, and I, to myself and to them, I just say, you know, you have already, if you can raise children to be healthy, happy people on this planet, you have made the biggest contribution you can ever make. And you will never have to do another thing in your life to make your lifetime more than worthwhile. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. So 
what can we do to, to support uh, our, ourselves and each other so that we can be really solid and be loving and open-hearted and be able to be present for our kids uh, and for each other. If, we're, if we happen to be a part of a couple, uh, how can we really be available to the person that we're, uh, we love, uh, to all the people that we love? So that's what our practice is about. Our practice is about developing uh, ways, being mindful all during the day, finding ways in which we can be fully who we are. Uh, my teacher is Thich Nhat Hanh, and I'll be using Buddhist terms probably some, at different points during the day because that's uh, my conditioning. But um, Thich Nhat Hanh always says he has absolutely no interest in anybody being a Buddhist, that um, uh, he wants people to, if you have a strong connection with a root tradition, the, Buddhist gave us all, the Buddha gave us all these practices we can use to be at peace. And all that Thich Nhat Hanh is interested in is for us to use whatever practices we can and strengthen our connection with our root tradition. It's not smart to cut ourselves off at the roots if we have already have a strong connection. So please, I just want, to, want you to know that's the spirit in which all this is offered. The Buddha himself said that, uh, he said, I don't want to, I, he said, don't take anybody's word for anything, not even mine. Trust your experience. So he just offered a bunch of practices. We use them. We see what works, what doesn't work, what might work for one person, might not work for another. And so not to feel like, well, this should be working. I'm going to stick with this no matter what. No. Um, uh, I talked to a longtime practitioner uh, the other night. I was doing a sangha meeting for some people. And um, I was talking about the fact that we don't have to effort when we do our sitting meditation. We don't have to work at it. It's nothing to work at. When we focus on the breath, we can let the breath breathe. We're just being witness to the breath breathing. The breath is doing it. We don't have to do anything. We go to sleep for eight hours a day if we're really lucky. And uh, the breath just keeps right on going. It doesn't require that we're there paying attention and making it do something different than it's doing. The breath knows just what to do. So we're going to do just a short sitting meditation. And um, during the sitting meditation, the basic practice in meditation is stopping, calming, resting, and healing. It's called shamatha practice. And it just means stopping. Just like we did when we listened to the bell, bring ourselves back, stop, and get centered. When we, when we meditate, we're doing that, but what we're trying to do is stay focused on the breath so that our mind doesn't go wandering off in 10 million directions. So we just notice if our mind goes off, we pay attention and we bring it back to the breath. Suddenly we'll notice that we're in uh, the Barbados or someplace, <laughs> wishful thinking, and we just notice and bring it back to our breath. And we just keep doing that. And the reason that we do is then we can choose. You heard the children this morning when I said, uh, if you keep your mind in wholesome places, how do you feel? You feel great. Uh, when we can, when we practice bringing our mind back to the breath over and over again, we're practicing being able to do that in the other 23 hours of our day. That then we can watch where our mind is going and we can choose to bring it back. We have a choice. Otherwise, I don't know how many of you have noticed that most of the time we spend just kind of chasing after our minds. That our mind decides where we are. How many people can say, oh, I just couldn't help it. I got really ticked off. I just couldn't help it. Uh, that's habit. That's just a habit that we've developed. 
when we can notice what the habit is and look through it. Like I said, um, you know, uh, getting stuck in traffic. Um, do I want to waste any of the moments of my life being angry at somebody I don't know for something they probably don't even realize they did? You know, does that make sense to me? I don't think so. But unless I've been able to see what's happening and choose, chances are good I could get carried away and being angry. Does that make sense? Capiche? Okay. So we're just going to do a very short sitting today because we have very limited time. So just maybe like a five-minute sit. Just to help people, if you've not done this before, I'll do a little guided meditation and guide you through what it feels like. If you even have five minutes in the, in the middle of the day to be able to come back to yourself, it helps us to be uh, solid and calm so we can respond more skillfully to life. And I think uh, most of you probably know when, when we have children, that can be a challenge sometimes. Uh, so we want to be able to uh, respond as skillfully as we can to what's going on. So we'll just sit for about five minutes. Breathing in, I'm aware I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I'm aware I'm breathing out. In, out. Breathing in, I'm aware of my in-breath from its very beginning to its very end. Breathing out, I'm aware of my out-breath from its very beginning to its very end. Breathing in, I'm aware of my abdomen rising. Breathing out, I'm aware of my abdomen falling. Rising, falling.
breathing in. I'm aware of my whole body and any tension in my body. Breathing out, I exhale all the tension in my body. Aware of tension, exhaling tension. Breathing in, I'm aware of thoughts arising. I notice that they're impermanent. They come and they go. Breathing out, with no judgment or criticism, only understanding that my mind is being a mind. I bring my mind back to my breath. Thoughts arising. Letting them go. Breathing in, I'm aware that I've got nowhere to go and nothing to do. Breathing out, I realize how wonderful this present moment is. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. Wonderful. Breathing in, I'm aware of what a gift it is to give myself to just stop. Breathing out, I'm aware that when I stop, calm, and rest, my mind and my body, my mind and my body can heal themselves. Stopping, calming, resting, and healing.
Can anybody feel uh, that they're feeling calmer than they were before we started? And it was probably about seven minutes that we sat. So people oftentimes will say, I don't have time. I just can't fit it into my day. But even if we can um, wait five minutes in our car before seeing the next client or uh, build those spaces and just take the five minutes to do just what I did. I just guided you through a teaching on uh, the four establishments of mindfulness, it's called, the ways that we can develop our mindfulness. We get in touch with our breath, with our body, with our mind. We could go on to get in touch with our feelings and our, and our uh, uh, mental formations, our habits of mind. But for our purposes, just stopping, calming, and resting can really help us to uh, be much more effective in how we go about doing our life and how we respond. Um, I think it was uh, delightful that we had, we could hear children and we could hear the teachings going on, we could hear bells sounding. Um, there were all kinds of things going on. Here we go. Um, and uh, this is, uh, that's what life is like. Uh, we don't need to set ourselves apart somewhere in perfect conditions to make sure we don't have to go to a cave in the Himalayas in order to uh, get back to ourselves. And Thich Nhat Hanh always tells us, he says, uh, if you're trying to be a saint, if you're trying to save people, if you're trying to be a venerable, uh, His Holiness, throw it out. That's none of your business. Our business is to come back to our true self not to try to be anything other than what we are, to just stop and get back in touch with our own basic goodness, that we all are at our core, that's who we are. At our core, that's who everybody is. And when we can see it in ourselves, it becomes obvious in everyone. So that all of our criticisms, judgments, um, all of the, uh, uh, the ways in which we uh, do damage to ourselves, those are all just habits of mind that we've developed over time. And when we can let them go, we can just see it for what it is and say, just a habit, I'm bringing myself back to getting in touch with my higher self. I'm getting in touch with my true nature, my basic goodness. And that's where I want to come from in the course of my day. I want to be responding to everybody from that place in myself. Um, and what happens is, We've all been powerfully conditioned from the moment of birth, we are being, from before birth, from way before birth, we're already being, being conditioned. And every minute after birth, we have been conditioned by every experience we've had, every person we've come in contact with. Um, and of course, being parents, uh, our parents are very powerful uh, uh, conditioners, but uh, they're not the only ones. So um, I was talking to a woman the other day, and she was uh, having difficulty with a teenage son. And uh, she was sure she had done everything wrong. She was really down on herself. She had, if she only had done everything differently, then. And I said, you know, you have to understand that this is much larger than you. <laughs> that uh, we're conditioned by everything. We're conditioned by all of our ancestors. Uh, whatever energetic transmission has happened throughout all of our ancestors, that comes down, that gets transmitted to us. And what Thich Nhat Hanh says is that those habits we develop are reacting. You see some people who have been very powerfully conditioned to react uh, by violence. And um, somebody hits them, they'll hit them back. And uh, if it works for them, they'll keep doing it. 
And if they find that there's some kind of payoff for that, they'll keep doing it. Um, no matter what it is, we have built-in responses. And when we live in families, they are even stronger because we're with somebody 24 hours a day. We think we can predict. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going to say. We can get together for a family holiday, just play a tape recorder, play, push the button, play it back, and we'll have the same conversation we had five years ago at Thanksgiving dinner, and the same people will be getting in the same argument about the same things. We don't have to do that anymore. We can just see, I don't know who this person is. We can wake up every day looking at ourselves and each other. We know in our practice, and we know from 2,600 years of experience, that we're not the same person minute to minute to minute, let alone year to year to year. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh one time had a guy come up to him at a uh, retreat, and he said, I have a bone to pick with you about this book that you wrote. And he wrote the book 30 years before. <laughs> and Thich Nhat Hanh said, I couldn't even remember what I'd written in the book, frankly. You know, he's, but he said, he turned to the man and he said, I'm sorry, I'm not the same person that wrote that book. <laughs> and he said, you might think I was lying, but I wasn't. That we're not the same people that we were, and yet we hold the ones that we love, especially in amber. We try to encase them in amber. I know my sister teased me when I was five. She's a creep, and I'm going to hold on to that idea, even though I'm 60 now. She's still a creep, and I know it. You know, it's like that. We hold on to these views, and what our practice can help us do is to just: Are you sure? In this moment, I can ask myself: Am I sure about this view? And what good is it doing me to hold on to it? Is it a benefit to me or benefit to anybody? If it's not, let it go. It's none of my business. Can I meet everybody? Uh, can I meet myself? Can I look in the mirror in the morning and say, who are you today? What part of you is going to manifest today? Can I be excited at the possibilities that I can be accessing the highest and best of myself in the day? Can I meet the person that I love? And uh, can I turn it over? I've been married and we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. We've been together 31 years. Can I look at my husband in the morning and go, who is this person? For me, it's kind of easy. <laughs> he, he's always full of surprises. But, um, but uh, can I genuinely leave that space for him to be able to manifest, whoever he is? Uh, we've been together 31 years, and I've seen this constant unfolding. He's not the person he was when I married him. I'm very glad he's not. He, I'm hoping he would say the same about me. Um, but that's a wonderful thing. That's, our, that's what we're trying to do with our children, with our loved ones, with everybody, to help them to manifest fully who they are. When I said, Thich Nhat Hanh said, if you're trying to be anything other than who you are, give it up. Throw it out. Come back to yourself and get in touch with your true nature so you can manifest beautifully as you were meant to in this lifetime. You know, he doesn't want anybody to be Thich Nhat Hanh. That's already been taken. He's doing a great job. He's holding up that end of things. Nobody else has to do that in this lifetime. So we all just want to be able to have enough space to manifest as we are. The other thing in our practice, I, I could see that... Um, uh, for a lot of the people who wrote me uh, notes, um, one of the greatest challenges, they say, is being connected to themselves, is being taking care of ourselves so that I can be available for other people. And when you're in a family, that's really easy to lose yourself because uh, it's so demanding. 
But Thich Nhat Hanh says that uh, it has to be, you have to look at it as you do as the uh, flight attendants. When they tell you, in case of an emergency, make sure you have your oxygen on before you help anybody else. That we have to go through life in that way. If we don't take care of ourselves, we cannot be available for other people. We get swamped in our own suffering, and then we just pass it on. What we don't transform in ourselves. Say that I had a very angry father, and a lot of the seeds of anger in me had been well watered. And I'm manifesting those in this lifetime. My response to just about anything is to get angry. Unless I can consciously recognize that's just a habit. I don't have to be ruled by my anger. Instead, I can notice it when it arises. I can breathe and calm myself, look deeply at my anger to try to understand what is it about, but not react. I don't have to say or do anything to anybody else. When I can do that, number one, I feel better about myself already. Because normally what happens is if I'm just in a, in a blind rage and I say horrible things to somebody or do something, I feel lousy about myself. All it does is nourish those seeds of self-hatred in me. And the seeds of self-hatred will manifest as anger toward everybody else. So it just keeps strengthening exactly what I don't want to have strengthened. So um, in families, what I frequently can see and hear about a lot are uh, husbands and wives who want nothing but the best for their kids. They love their kids dearly. But they don't agree on what that is. And so they get in great big fights over uh, whether we should do it this way or do it that way. I think it needs to be this way. No, I think it really needs to be that way. And what energy are we transmitting to the children? Do you see? So exactly what we don't want to do, we're doing. We're creating. What we also need to be looking at in terms of our habits, I always say is uh, if you're finding yourself really, really upset by something and it seems to be out of... Uh, uh, out of... Uh, uh, proportion to what it was that incited us, then I always ask myself two questions. To what am I afraid of and to what am I attached? Am I attached to some outcome? Uh, am I afraid of some outcome happening? So often I talk to parents who are afraid. Uh, my, my kids making all the wrong decisions, they're destroying their lives, da -da 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 -da. so they get their fear manifests as anger. And what they do is block any kind of communication, any kind of openness with that because of their own fear and their attachment to the outcome. And so they cannot come from a loving place, and that's felt. So we create exactly what we're afraid of. Very frequently that happens. I don't know if any of you have experienced that already, but I've experienced it over and over in my life. Um, I had a beautiful example of that happen. Um, last winter, I was traveling to see my father in Pittsburgh. I got on uh, a flight in Providence, and before the flight left, they had like 150 people say, uh, your flight is going to be at gate 19 instead of gate 17. So 150 people all switched to gate 17, 19. Then they said, no, no, it's going to go back to gate 17. So we all switched to gate 17. Then they said, actually, your flight is delayed. <laughs> and. Uh, so anybody who has a, sh a short time to connect in Baltimore, please come to the desk. We'll give you early boarding pass. Okay. So I was one of those people. I had 25 minutes to change flights in Baltimore to get to Pittsburgh. There were six of us. So the six of us go. We get the early boarding passes. I'm thinking, how nice of them to do this. This is great. This will be a big help. 
So I'm second person on the plane, and the woman in front of me has this over a bag to put in the overhead compartment. She's having a heck of a time getting it. So I'm helping her try to help her push the bag up. And this guy behind us is going, Would you please hurry? I've got to make a connection. And he's fierce. He's just really angry. He's like beet red and really upset. And he's really anxious. And I thought, well, we all have to make connections. That's why we're here. You know, that's why we're the six people that are on the plane. But that's okay. So I thought, he's six foot five. He could have easily put the bag in the overhead rack. But that's not part of it. So I just, okay, we finished putting her bag in. We sat down. And then he's sitting right across from us. And before he sits down, he has this big green duffel bag. He's trying to get in the overhead compartment and it won't fit. So he's punching this bag into the overhead compartment, punching it to get in there. And he's just getting more and more angry, more and more frustrated. And finally, he just gives it one big punch. And it goes in, wedges it in diagonally. So the wheel's sticking out. One wheel is sticking out. He throws himself down in the seat. And pretty soon, the flight attendant's coming up the thing, shutting all the overhead bins. She gets to his bin, and she goes, whose green duffel bag is this? Mine. And she said, well, I'm going to have to stow it in the back. It's too big to fit in this compartment. You will not. I have a connection to make. And she, this flight attendant goes up to him, and she said, uh, are you always this rude, or is it only the flight attendant? <laughs> and he said, well, a flight attendant was rude with me before I got on the plane. That's why I'm mad. And she said, well... I'm sorry that that happened, but I fail to see what that has to do with me. And I thought, whoa, his teacher has arrived in the form of a flight attendant. And then I thought, well, my teacher has arrived in the form of this guy. What a great teacher. Because uh, what he had effectively done was delay the plane by about 10 minutes. By being so angry, so scared, it was his fear that was underlying anger. He's afraid of missing his connection. So he's having a tantrum. And by having a tantrum, he's taken up another 10 minutes. So right now, we're pulling out of the gate. We're 25 minutes late. We all have a 25-minute connection to make in Baltimore. What are the chances of that happening? Almost nothing. So we get to Baltimore, and luckily, I'm paying attention to this. And I'm thinking, wow. He just created exactly what he didn't want to have happen. I had nothing but compassion for this guy because I could identify with him. I, could, I know how many times in my life I have created exactly what I didn't want to have happen. So I'm looking at this guy as my teacher. Luckily, I had a really good book. I spend the time reading as we're going to Baltimore, and I'm thinking, well, I've never been to Baltimore. If I get stranded there, maybe it'll be nice. You know, uh, We'll see what Baltimore is like. A lot of people live there. Couldn't be all bad. So uh, we'll see. We'll just wait and see. And uh, it was such a relief. I just felt such a gratitude for the practice, being able to not get pulled away, not be, not be driven and not be uh, controlled by my emotions. Instead, be able to look at it. All my anger and upset is not going to make this plane go faster. That's the reality. So why not enjoy the ride? I might as well. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh says, um, uh, some little girl came up and asked him a question one time, and she said, what's the, uh, what's the purpose of life? And he said, the purpose of life is to enjoy every moment of it. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I thought, whoa, how many of us have that as our highest purpose in life, right? Our purpose in life is to achieve, accomplish, do something. We've got to get ahead. We've got to do more. We've got to do... We're like little slave drivers to ourselves. 
And how much time do we spend just sitting down and enjoying the miracle of it all? That every single being is a miracle. It's a miracle that we're here. This body is a total miracle. Like I said uh, before, you know, our breathing keeps going when we're sleeping. It knows exactly what to do. Every cell in our body knows what to do. It's an incredible miracle. The Buddha said that uh, the chances of us having a human birth would be the same as if there were a blind tortoise in a sea that covered the entire earth. The, earth was, the sea was the size of the earth. In the sea, there was a blind turtle. And on the top of the ocean was a ring floating, a wooden ring floating. And that blind turtle would surface once every 500 years to get air. And the chances of us having a human birth would be the same as that blind turtle surfacing and coming up right through the middle of that ring, in the middle of that thing. It's so precious. And for us to miss out on it is a real tragedy. So by being able to develop our mindfulness, to be able to be aware moment to moment, to not get caught in our habits, in just our habits of reacting, of our conditioning, and be able to see through it, to see clearly what it is I'm dealing with here, and be able to just respond to what is. Then we are free to enjoy all the wonders of life. Does that make sense? Those of you that are new to this, does that make sense? Okay, so what the practice is about is over and over and over. It's gentle diligence over time. It's being mindful. Like I said, we try to piece together more and more moments of mindfulness. And when we come together as a sangha, we get support. We have other people who support us in this practice. Our culture does not really support us much in doing this. <laughs> the, the culture encourages us to multitask. You want to be as efficient as possible, you have to have 10 things at once going, and you've got to get them all done at once. And um, that's what we're encouraged to do. That's what's valued. And what happens is we get totally dispersed, and we're nowhere. We're not in any one of those places at all. So we're never really present. So even if we have a job that requires that of us, if there's, there are times in our day when we have to be dispersed, it's even more important for us to carve out those little places of time to bring ourselves back, to really reassess, to go out for a walk of five minutes and put your feet on the earth and say, this is a total miracle. I am exhaling what the trees are inhaling. They're exhaling what I'm inhaling. Who invented this? This is unbelievable that this works this way. Such a gift that we can be surrounded by people who are uh, uh, loving and kind that want more than anything to not create suffering on the planet. What a gift. That we're living in a place where we're able to do this. We're not being bombed right now. We have food to eat. You know, when we're, when we're going around feeling that uh, this is terrible, horrible, awful, think again. Are you sure? Not really. The things that get us bent out of shape and miserable uh, I had a cancer diagnosis a few years ago, and uh, I was so grateful for the practice then because I thought the real tragedy would be if I spent the entire year that I had to go through treatment uh, being caught in uh, fear and anxiety and speculation. Um, that would have been a total tragedy to have wasted a year of my life. 
So uh, our practice was that for every minute I spent at Sloan Kettering, I would spend three minutes uh, enjoying myself wholeheartedly. That we would go to Central Park and listen to music and enjoy flowers and thousands of people from all over the world and um, just take it all in. We call that watering the wholesome seeds in ourselves. We look at it as having seeds in our consciousness. We've got the seeds of anger, happiness, joy, um, uh, hatred, anger, violence. Everybody has all the same potential. And whatever those seeds are that we nourish are the things that manifest in our consciousness. So as parents, the things we try hardest to do is to make sure we're nourishing as many wholesome seeds as we possibly can in our children. That we want those to be well watered. And in order to do that, we have to nourish the wholesome seeds in ourselves and in our partners, if we have a partner. Um, what we realize is that everybody's happiness is our happiness. If I say, well, you did this and I'm really upset and you're not doing what I want and I'm going to be at war with the person that I'm living with, all I'm doing is doing exactly what that guy was doing with his duffel bag. I'm just strengthening exactly what I don't want, creating the one thing I don't want to have happen. We are co-creating the relationships that we have in this world. We like to blame everything on the other person because it feels so good. But in fact, we're co-responsible. For every relationship we're in, we are co-creating it. What am I nourishing in the people that I'm with? Am I nourishing their highest and best? Am I nourishing their true self? Am I encouraging them? Am I giving them enough space to really manifest as they're meant to in this lifetime? When I hold their happiness as my highest priority, I'm holding my happiness as my highest priority. I don't know how many of you would notice, but when the people we live with are miserable, <laughs> it doesn't make us happy. Usually, uh, what's the old uh, thing, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? <laughs> that goes to for everybody. When the children aren't happy, nobody's happy. You know, uh, they make sure that we know it. So uh, that is the uh, the reason that we practice um, is to be able to fully experience life. Thich Han says we keep our appointment with life. How many people I know, I know uh, people my parents' age, that feel um, real a lot of regret. Because when they were young, they were focused on different things. And when they have grandchildren, they realize how, what a beauty it is. They can see the beauty in children. That when they had their own children, they were too busy. They were uh, really stressed out. They were very unhappy. So uh, just so we can keep our appointment with life and keep our, uh, as uh, Martin Luther King would say, keep our eye on the prize, um, we're able to practice. So when we can come together with others, like I said, it's wonderful to get the support of other people that are attempting to do the same things. We can share our mistakes. We can share the places we get caught. And what we can know for sure is that every single human being is just like us. This is the wonderful part. We try to act like we're, uh, we can't possibly make a mistake. We have to be perfect. We have to do that. Well, that's not being human. We set ourselves up to standards that are impossible. Absolutely, and we make ourselves miserable, and our unhappiness is what we transmit. When we can be with a group of people who understand that being human is human, <laughs> making mistakes is human, and that we're all making them all the time, then we have a chance for happiness. <laughs>
we can make amends. We have a number of practices for conflict resolution. I can't go into all of them today because it's too short of a time that we have together. But we have uh, one practice that's called Beginning Anew, uh, where we can offer flower waterings, appreciations to people when we've had disagreements. And uh, we offer appreciations, three things we appreciate. Then we offer the part that we played in the difficulty. We spend 24 hours looking at whatever we did to make the thing uh, an argument or make the disagreement in our family. And then we offer that to the other person. I realized I was unskillful. I did this, 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 and this. I could see that when I looked at myself. Uh, but I need you to know that when you talk to me in that way, this is what these are the seeds that get watered in me. When we can do that, instead of simply building up walls and getting more and more angry and more and more protected and defended, the walls around our heart can open and we can stay open-hearted and in love. We don't have to be afraid of being perfect. We can give it up and let it go and be human like everybody else. Then you've got lots of company. We don't feel separate anymore. Okay? We'll be talking a little bit more this afternoon. We're going to be having uh, Dharma sharing, the possibility for some Dharma sharing. Um, does anybody have any questions about anything I've spoken about this morning? None? I can't believe it. I was perfectly clear. You know just how to apply all of this to your family. Yes. Some people couldn't hear. And uh, what Ellen asked is just sometimes when you're going through a really tough time and you're um, feeling really uh, uh, overwhelmed, then you feel angry with yourself because you shouldn't be feeling that way. That, uh, right, that you be ju you're judging and criticizing yourself. Uh, oh, if I were practicing better, then I would be able to be happy all the time. If that were the case, in Buddhism, the first noble truth is suffering exists. If it were the case that all we had to do is practice and we never suffer again, we would have been out of business 2,600 years ago. Okay? Because suffering is going to be happening all the time. The, the reason I talk about watering the wholesome seeds is that expands our capacity to be with the suffering we have to be with. Things in life happen. Uh, uh, difficult things happen. And so... Uh, the judging and criticizing, that's a habit of mind. That we've been very powerfully conditioned to do. So when she says, and this is real common, <laughs> I'm really happy you brought it up because it's a perfect, really, really common. It's like if only, and with cancer too, people think, oh, if I thought positive thoughts, I would never get cancer. Think again. You know, the most positive people in the world sometimes die right away. And the most negative people can live for 20 years with cancer. We don't, you know. There, it's nice because the quality of your life is a lot better if you stay positive. But it's not just about thinking happy thoughts. It's about being able to be mindful of what is true for me in this moment. And when what's true for me is I am depressed. What's true for me is I am angry. 
Like I said, we don't deny any of it. It's not about repressing our feelings or not being what we are. It's a matter of embracing them and not acting on them. If it's anger, I can wholeheartedly embrace my anger, sit with my anger, look deeply, listen, just like we talked about Avalokita. Listen. What is it about? What, is, what am I really angry about? The second noble truth is there are causes of our suffering. When we stop and we can acknowledge, yep, I'm suffering, I'm depressed, what are the causes of my suffering? Then I'm much more likely to find a way out than if I go drinking, shopping, working, exercising, um, eating, I don't know what all we do, but a million ways we have of trying not to acknowledge what's true for us. And our practice is about being honest with ourselves and each other. It's not about trying to outrun it, be uh, cover it up, um, act like, oh no, everything's just great, I'm always happy, I never feel bad. No. It's about embracing the suffering, embracing the depression. And if you find yourself being critical and judging of that, you have to see that as being just a habit of mind. I'm a human being, I'm experiencing what's common, every single human being has experiences. There's no judgment to be made. It's just what is in this moment. A very powerful practice I use all the time is I'll set aside 24 hours and say, for this 24 hours, I'm just going to look at my judgments and criticisms. And I'll look at how I judge and criticize myself and other people. That's all I'm going to pay attention to today. What's coming up in my mind? The next practice that I use, that's the hardest one that I've ever done, and I've yet to achieve it, and that is to have an opinion-free day. <laughs> Five minutes, right? It's a wonderful day. No, it's not. It's uh, good. It's bad. It's right. It's wrong. We all feel like we have to go through life with this binary code going a million miles a minute. We have to have an opinion about everything, right? What happens if we don't? The thing I found out that I'm just going to share with you, the, the fruits of my practice, which is all I can share anyway, is that whenever I even can do that temporarily, it's such a relief. I don't have to have an opinion. Wow. You know, the world didn't shift off its axis. Nobody died. I didn't have an opinion and nothing bad happened. Wow. This is so exciting. So, you can give it a shot if you like. I mean, that's a, a, a really wonderful practice. And the most important thing is that criticizing and judging of ourselves. You know, if we can let go of that, if we can see it for what it is and have nothing but compassion, we need to be able to replace it with understanding and compassion. Understanding is the basis of love. If we can understand and love ourselves, we can understand and love everybody. So I, we've run a little bit over, but I don't think anybody's going to get too upset about that. We're going to do some outdoor walking meditation. And I think for that, we're going to congregate downstairs in the dining room, right out back. There's a little porch. It's going to be outside. So um, whatever equipment is necessary for you to do outdoor walking, uh, we can collect it. Before we do, we're going to have three sounds of the bell. Thank you so much for being here. It's a, a real delight to be able to see so many people uh, so interested in being peace for themselves and for their kids. That's a great thing you're doing for the world, and I have a deep bow of gratitude.